Welcome to the Midnight Ramadan Show, a new entertainment series by Sotli Stallions Football Club. Throughout the course of this month in Ramadan, we will be speaking to professional footballers, getting an insight from them. And after that hour's interview, we will do an online workout on the Zoom platform. Feel free to join in, keep fit, keep healthy, and let's raise some awareness together. Welcome to episode one. First ever episode of the Midnight Ramadan show. We've got club doctor Crystal Palace, Dr. Zafik Bal joining us very shortly. Um, and he'll go through his journey and his experiences within football. Stay tuned. Okay, salam alaikum, Dr. Zaf. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome, Salam. Jazakallah for uh, inviting me. How are you? How are you? How are you finding Ramadan so far? Um, it's all right to be honest. Not 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 too bad. Uh, if I'm being really honest, it's it, it's more difficult when I'm at home uh, because it's much more difficult to distract yourself. At least when I'm when I'm at work, it's uh, a little bit easier because your mind is occupied with work and stuff, and so the time travels goes by uh, much quicker whereas at home um it's it's a little bit more difficult it's like literally bed and then bed from bed to home office it is i mean i, I do still have to do quite i mean even today i had quite a lot of online meetings uh then the kids are about and stuff but uh, as you said it's uh, there is a tendency to to sit down a lot more so you're not on your feet and uh, as i say when you're resting that's when it, i actually find it's uh, it's more difficult I'm going to have to say this because obviously a huge Liverpool fan, but I've been following Liverpool's kind of uh, Twitter accounts and their Instagram accounts and they've, they've been putting out um, like John Acherberg, your former colleague, uh, and other uh, Pep Linders that they're putting out, they do Z- Zoom training sessions with the players. Is that, is that something that's similar you're doing at Palace as well? Uh, that's right. So all our players have got uh, programmes, individual programmes. So they're a little bit limited in terms of what they can do. Uh, of course, they can't do the same amount of training that they normally would be doing. So the best that we can try and do is try and maintain their fitness. And so initially they were given bike sessions, they've given home strength sessions, and most of them have got gyms at home. And if they haven't, we've dropped off uh, equipment or they've ordered uh, basic gym equipment uh, for this period. And then every so often we'll, so we don't do it every day, every so often we'll do Zoom sessions with them, uh, try and get the lads together, a uh, bit of banter going, and just try and keep their spirits up, really. Who's, who's, who's got the best banter then, would you say? Or, or are you allowed to say? <laughs> I, they all have, to be fair, and once they start, and, and usually they'll, they'll try and have a go at, uh, always try and have a go at the medical staff, so you've got to be ready for them um but uh james MacArthur is 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 quite sharp to be honest <laughs> He's, uh, you know chaco kiati is another one never stops smiling but uh certainly james MacArthur, you have to be really on uh on your toes with him because uh i don't think i've ever met anyone with quite as much energy as he has just 24 7. uh i feel sorry for his wife really <laughs> i remember last time when i came down to see you at the, at the ground and Wilfred Zaha was getting some treatment and he was giving the, the medical staff some banter as well that day. Well, we're an easy target, but as <laughs> I say, you've got to give you got to give as good as you get. You, you know, 
uh, as I said, the young lads and a uh, lot of energy. And so, uh, as I said, they're, they're always trying it on. But as I say, you have to you have to give as good as you get. No, absolutely. Moving on to like uh, this situation that we face um, at the moment. What actually before I even go into that, I was going to mention like obviously myself and yourself we've been speaking for a few years now uh, whether it's twitter uh, whatsapp etc and we, we've spoken about um, many different things when it comes to sport and i just thought when we speak today uh, we try to kind of make it a bit more relatable to what's going on in the world at the moment because uh, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of the times when you speak um whether it's in the media or the press or with other partners uh, it's mainly around the journey of yourself which we'll come on to i'm, I'm pretty sure we will come on to but i, I just thought it, it's important that we we, we, we talk about the global pandemic that's happening, obviously, which is coronavirus, and the fact that it's the first time probably in all of our lifetimes that we've faced it during the month of Ramadan. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you about what, what's, what's been key challenges for yourself in, in, the, in the footballing industry um, with the virus coupled with the first day of Ramadan? Um, well, the key one, uh, as you mentioned earlier, is the fact that we're no longer playing football. And for the first time, I think this is the longest period that I've not been involved directly at the training ground uh, and with footballers, you know, face to face uh, for probably 15 years. Um, I've rarely had more than a week off at a time away from footballers. And so, as I say, it's, it's quite strange in, in that sense. Um, but Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm, you know, I also appreciate I'm in a very fortunate position. I can still work from home. So, I'm doing lots of online meetings with the rest of my colleagues. I'm in regular touch with the players. If need be, I'm doing online consultations or discussions with them. You know, um, we still have the odd injured player that needs rehabilitation. So the rest of the team, we're, we're in daily contact. And we also then uh, keep in regular contact with the player. Via Zoom, we're able to see what the player is doing. And even though we're not able to do direct hands-on, we're able to give them uh, rehabilitation advice and we're able to watch what they're doing in terms of their exercises and make sure that they're doing it correctly. Equally, if anybody needs a scan, you know, the scans are sent directly to me and able, I'm able to review them and able to go through them with the player. So, Alhamdulillah, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's quite good, you know, uh, learning new skills, uh, certainly in terms of with regards to online consultations. Um, it's a, it's a very different way of working and who knows uh, in the future this may be uh, something that everyone is going to have to get used to at some point. And that kind of nicely leads on to the, to the next point I was going to actually ask which was about the positives because for me myself um, and when I was growing up and having studied at Islamic school um, and graduating, the, the verse that keeps coming to my mind is when there's hardship then comes ease as well. Uh, and that was kind of a question around the positivities which you kind of just alluded to in terms of you know in the future we might have to get used to this yeah no very much so again certainly uh, there's a lot more people that are doing online meetings and we're also we're quite we're quite fortunate we've got a good network of specialists around the world and one thing that we have been doing and making sure is keeping on top of in terms of our uh, continued learning and education and Whereas before, we'd quite often to go and study further and, and, and go on courses, we'd be flying abroad. Mm. Whereas now, you can actually uh, get the specialist in your living room. 
Yeah. And so we've had uh, on a, uh, almost on a daily basis, we've had uh, educational sessions from some of the best specialists uh, around the world. So that, that's been very good and useful. Um, other positive, um, although my wife might not agree, uh, is that I've been around the house much more. <laughs> so certainly been uh, trying to help the kids with their studies. And as I say, uh, fortunately, the wife is still downstairs. The hardest bit has been trying to keep the wife happy and, and make sure doing the uh, jobs that she wants uh, me to do as well. So, uh, yeah, there have been a lot of positives. As I said, this is probably the longest I've spent at home uh, in a continuous period like this. Um, learning new skills, doing more cooking, um, playing a lot more with regards to the kids and stuff. So uh, trying to teach... Uh, my son to play cricket, um, playing a little bit of table tennis as well. So, alhamdulillah, been lots of positives, but I also appreciate I'm in a, I'm in a very privileged position that I'm a, I am able to do that. And there's lots of unfortunate people out there, you know, lots of businesses who are who are are struggling. And and our thoughts and prayers are all are with those. I think I've got to completely agree with uh, with everything that you said there. But something that really sticks out is when you mentioned. Um, being able to sit in your living room and have um, kind of through technology have experts in front of a laptop and it, it kind of fills me with pride of the fact that we're having this conversation now which is being accessed by many young young people that you know would want to speak to you uh, or want to ask you questions and, and I think this is a massive positive that this has um, kind of brought about so I, I, I completely agree with you um, I did want to ask you um, moving into the the footballing matters how, how you felt or how do you feel um the football community or, or the community in general has responded uh to the, the whole pandemic uh with government um you know statements that have been come out and laws that have been passed for example it's been very difficult for for everyone really involved in football you speak to the footballers and they just want to play football that mm -hmm. that's all the majority of them know but at the same time we also understand and respect how serious this has been and I think initially when we saw the few cases in in the football manager who, who's tested positive and a couple of the players I think it shocked a lot of the um, the players because to be honest myself as well when I was trying to educate them I said look you know I was, I was trying to uh, not get them too concerned that this is a condition which is primarily going to affect the elderly or those with uh, previous illnesses and that still is the case but we do know that it can uh, affect anybody really and, and and the worrying thing is that at this moment in time there isn't a, a cure for it I mean still we we can be reassured that the majority of people that will get it uh, you know will come through it but it's still no consolation that unfortunately as we've already seen there have been uh, a high number of deaths and you know people that I know unfortunately their parents have passed away as a result of this and so it is extremely concerning again you know football it, it again we I go back to we're in a privileged position you know we we are able to stop and a lot of the guys have been working from home and again we're fortunate you know we're the, the, the footballers they're they have got enough funds there to be able to work from home and you know they can put food on the table they they've got a roof over their heads many people in society are not able to do that 
and so um, at this moment in time again it really does make one appreciate how how fortunate uh, we are from a medical perspective um like obviously it's it's ramadan now and traditionally we would be literally now we would be in in the masjid um, congregating in tarawi or finishing off tarawi and depending on what part of the city you're from in birmingham or london or wherever you, you know you may be residing it's really hustle and bustle there's a lot of street food there's a lot of amazing spirit and community spirit around how important is it that and uh, the muslim you know community are, are following the guidelines from a medical perspective well huge huge because of the fact that we've seen how quickly this condition can pass from person to person and and the difficulty is you don't know who's got it um so many people can be asymptomatic so about over 80 percent of people they may have it mm. and they may just have something simple like a, a cough or, or a sore throat or a little bit of a headache and not think much of it now if they're in close contact with somebody else who has got underlying health conditions if they catch it it can be a serious problem for them so we've really got to think about other muslims we've really got to think about not just other muslims but all all people in, in society and we really need to try and control as much as possible the spread of this until either we find a cure or more importantly um i think that you know we know that the nhs resources are able to handle if we have to go into hospital because that that's the big problem at, at present is in a normal situation i think the hospitals would be able to handle uh most of these conditions where it becomes a problem is where they haven't got enough itu beds where they haven't got enough ventilators so anybody who gets this type of illness will not be able to access the full care that they normally would do and so that's the real problem so what we want to try and do is is slow down the spread slow down the number of people that are actually getting this so that the national health service the doctors uh, the nurses are able to are able to manage this because while these while this condition is going on let's not forget other conditions such as heart disease heart attacks yeah uh, strokes those are still happening it's not like those have suddenly slowed down and so you know heart attacks majority of people now if they'd had a heart attack or stroke previously they would get immediate care immediate access you know the ambulance would be there within minutes now as a result of priority being given to other uh, conditions it means that other conditions which normally be treated very quickly and and, and seen as you know uh, relatively straightforward to manage are becoming more difficult to treat so i think we all have to have a part we can't be selfish we've got to think about each other and i think really if, if, if nothing else think about your parents think about your children think about your brothers and sisters and the best thing that you can really do is is to try and keep them healthy and and that's to follow the the, the current guidelines no and i agree with you and i think um for myself personally it really really hit me um in many different ways physically and mentally yesterday when when we found out i know some people are are, are going to have the first ramadan tomorrow but uh, when we found out that it was uh the moon had been sighted and it's going to be ramadan today it really hit me um after uh, maghrib prayers it, uh, it really hit me that i'm not going to be going to the masjid or leading prayers or or, or, or recite um in congregation behind another imam etc and, and it 
there was moments yesterday where I was um, physically and mentally kind of really down about it. And I think, I think, I guess what I kind of, the way I kind of got around it myself was, uh, I kept referring to, to verses in the Quran around woman um, where if you if you um, save um, one person it's like saving the entire mankind um, so, so the government guidelines clearly link into that verse um, but I think what I kind of wanted to ask you from a medical and a you know, professional perspective is how important that physical activity during this month and during this crisis how important it is um, it's really important. We do know that uh, somebody who does regular physical activity, looks after their own health, uh, will also have a, a better immune system as well. And so if they do get any type of infection, then they're more likely to be able to fight it. So doing regular exercise is really important on that front. Um, the other problem that you have is, is while staying indoors, you do get the tendency to snack. <laughs> Clearly not during Ramzan, but earlier you, you get a tendency to snack. And unfortunately, th there is a saying which says you can't outrun a bad diet. So it doesn't matter what kind of things that you're eating, uh, you're not going to be able to do enough exercise to be able to burn that off. So that's where really you've got to be, uh, you know, you've got to resist that urge. Uh, so Alhamdulillah, as I say, Ramzan maybe has come at the right time in, in one sense where we're not going to be able to snack during the day, but then equally, we've got to be careful that when we open iftar, that uh, we make sure that we are sensible with our eating as well. What we shouldn't be doing, as 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 some people do, unfortunately, you know, as soon as it's time to open their fast, they pile on food on the plate, and it's like they're eating the equivalent of three people in one meal. You know, that that that's not the purpose for me for Ramzan. So, at the same time. You've got to you've you've been excellent in terms of your control during the day, so a little bit more control is required during iftar as well. Have a small meal, uh, go easy on the samosas, go easy on on the desserts <laughs> and the sugary foods, and then uh, you know have a small meal, read your maghrib prayer, and then go wait an hour or so and have another meal after that. So pace yourself, you know that really is key because what you don't want to be doing is is undoing all the good work that you have done during the day bit of deja vu when I when I came down to see you at the tra training ground and you said you said um, you can't outrun a bad diet just wanted to let you know I know you've been giving me a bit of stick and not stick advice about what exercises to do and maintain weight good weight um, I was actually going to the gym and, and then this happened unfortunately um, so I, I, you know I, I will I will continue in some capacity um, to keep fit and I think it again leads on to the next question around um, what advice would you give to, to, obviously you're giving advice on a regular basis to professional footballers at Crystal Palace, um, etc. What advice would you give to, to players um, who are uh, playing at any level, grassroots, non-league, Sunday league, Saturday league? It's, it's, it's a difficult one, to be honest, because we do know that obviously trying to play 90 minutes of football, it's, it's very intensive. It, it takes a lot out on the body. Uh, makes you dehydrated and obviously um, you need energy to be able to perform to the maximum 90 minutes. Now in countries which are uh, predominantly Muslim they're quite fortunate so what they'll try and do is they'll cater their training so that it fits in with Ramzan so what will happen is that they'll either play just before iftar 
or they will play after iftar, so between iftar and sehri. Uh, they'll also do their training. So quite similar to that excellent initiative that you guys were doing with regards to your uh, Ramadan football, which is the ideal thing, you know, around about midnight, um, uh, you know, to be playing football then, because at least then that uh, maintains that regular physical activity. Now, in terms of the players in this country, they don't really have a choice. So at, at almost every football club that I've worked at, whether it be Spurs, Liverpool or, or Palace, Alhamdulillah, they've had, uh, we've had Muslim players there and uh, many of them have fasted, uh, certainly during training. Um, and what they do is that we give them specific nutrition advice in terms of what, uh, what the right kinds of food to have for Sari and Iftar. And then, um, so I remember when I was at Liverpool, uh, pre-season, uh, Ramadan was during pre-season. We would normally, we would normally have double sessions and Brendan Rodgers knew that certain players such as Kola Torre and, uh, Osama Saidi were, were fasting. And so he was understanding. And so those players would only do the morning training session and they wouldn't do the, uh, afternoon training session so they do a strength session in the afternoon so you know we we try and accommodate and and help uh, those players of course when it comes to games uh, in this country that becomes more difficult so many of the players that i've come across would would find that they'd find it too difficult to fast and play a full 90 minute game at a premier league level so they would make the fast up at, at another time that's for me, that was their that was their choice. I have heard of some players having fasted during games as well, but again, that's very much an individual choice. What we can't take away is the fact that fasting is difficult on the body. You know, um, the whole point of it is the fact that you're going to get dehydrated, and you're not going to be able to replace the energy that you're consuming while playing a sport. Um, so it, it is very demanding. As I say, most players that I've come across will fast during training, but find that a game is, is, is probably just a little bit too difficult for them and they make that up. But I have heard of, of some players who have fasted and played uh, played games as well. But as I said, it is very difficult. If you're not playing at a professional level, then that's a choice that you make. I used to play Sunday league uh, football and we used to fast. And uh, I used to play in the Asian league in in london so a lot of the uh, players in the opposition team were uh were muslim and, and fasting as well so i think we were all in the same boat really uh i think everyone's performance levels probably decreased a little bit um but if somebody wants to maintain playing football if you can uh, the best time to try and do any sort of training would be uh once you've opened your uh, fast after iftar so between iftar and sehri I'm a really, really bad uh, sore loser. Um, and last year, um, the Sunday League team sorted Southerns, we had a cup final at um, West Bromwich Albion. And although the other team were the better team throughout the course of the season, etc., um, we lost the final. But I still firmly believe it was down to the fact that we had eight or nine players who were fasting and we, we had kickoff at 2 p.m. And Iftar was around 9.30 p.m. last year. Um, so I think, I think it had an effect. And like you mentioned as well, um, I think it, it had an effect and that's I don't know people probably say I'm a sore loser but I genuinely believe it, it had an effect because it, it decreases in, in performance uh, like you mentioned um, just to show that the study, study that again? Show that, 
I said the studies show that, I mean, if, if you look at um, everybody sweats while, while if they're exerting themselves hard, and if you lose even 2% of your body weight in fluid, which you can easily do during a game, if you don't replace that, your performance will decrease by up to 20%. Um, so that, that, that's the science of it. That's the physiology of it. Um, now, some players find that they get additional benefits from fasting. So some players say that it makes them mentally, it makes them uh, stronger. So uh, I know having spoken in a different sport, Sonny Bill Williams, he fasts, he, he said that he fasts and while he's playing rugby games. And he found that it gave him more control. And at least in his back of mind, he knew that he was at least going to get food when he opened his fast. So for him, it was worth that, uh, worth, you know, uh, going through that. There you have it, guys. You heard it directly from Dr. Zaf. The reason we lost last year, studies show it was a decreasing performance. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, like you just mentioned as well, mentally, we had a, a player, a young player, Sufyan Zia, who, who was fasting and he was actually man of the match. So mentally, he was, I agree, you, you just got it all spot on there. Great analysis there um, in regards to Ramadan and playing as well. Um, I wanted to ask about the broader context of Ramadan. Um, everyone has, you know, everyone knows and understands what, what pretty much you would assume that from the Muslim community what Ramadan is. Um, but individually, it can mean different to different people. What does Ramadan mean to you as an individual, away from the, the, the worldly affairs or the jobs or the professionalism, just generally as a person? Uh, I know it's a personal question. You don't have to answer, but it would just, I think I'd like to hear it, and I'm sure the audience would like to hear your view and perspective. Um, I think personally, um, it's, it's definitely a time of reflection. Um, for me, it's to remember what my purpose is. Um, again, I think it makes me, and, and even more at this current time, appreciate, alhamdulillah, how fortunate I am. And, and be grateful for the all that I've got. Um, and even more to remind myself that I should never get ahead of myself and that it can all be taken away in an instant. You know, um, and, and if somebody says to me, oh, fasting is hard. Yes, it can be hard. But Alhamdulillah, at least I know that like today, come 8.15, I've got some food there. I've got some fluid there. I've got a roof over my head. And, you know, there's many, many people around the world who they don't know where their next food is going to come from. They don't know where, you know, if they're going to have a roof over their heads. They don't know if their house is going to get bombed, you know. So it, it certainly does, you know, remind me again that if ever I get into the idea that I'm starting to feel sorry for myself or how unfortunate am I or why is this happening to me or I should be going out and I should be working. Mm. Alhamdulillah, as I say, I, it, it just hits back home and it just to reflect that this is nothing, you know, uh, what I'm feeling is, is, is a very small amount compared to what other people are, are, are there out. And so if anything, it's a reset button for me. And so it makes me think, you know, stop moaning, stop whinging there are people who are far more unfortunate and so you should be grateful for all that you 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 have got i mean those who who may not have the awareness of, of what ramadan is um have sometimes i've seen and I've, I've debated with and spoken to and commented on social media posts about 
the assumptions that they make that if a person is fasting they're literally sleeping all day and they're not at work they're not doing uh, anything productive um what what would your answer be to that or what what have you gone through or you, you've obviously seen many months of ramadan over the years being in the industry of football um how do you go about your day-to-day -day life like uh, pre-covid 19 when it's ramadan i know you hinted a little bit on the the liverpool era under brendan yeah, rogers no yourself. life 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 goes on it has to and, and and the whole point is not to fast and then just spend the whole day in bed mm. so to be honest, I'm struggling more when I'm at home just because of the fact that it's almost like the bed is there. The yeah. uh, So it, it's much easier to rest. And, and I actually find that when I was working, uh, and when I say working, when, I'm, when, when I used to be in the hospital, I could quite easily go the whole day, uh, even when I'm not fasting, go the whole day without food anyway, because your mind is occupied. Mm. Where it becomes more difficult, I think, is where uh, you, you're not obviously working and, and, and there is that opportunity for you to rest more. And to be honest, I don't want to do that. I, I, I'd rather be doing something constantly uh, and keeping my mind occupied. And I find that much easier because the time absolutely fly, uh, absolutely goes you know, very, very quickly. During my work in football, um, nothing's really changed um, because I've been lucky. All the clubs that I've worked at, they've been accommodating in terms of they know that I'm a Muslim, they know that I fast. And so when we've stayed away in hotels, they've accommodated for me in terms of my either iftar or sari. So they normally have their set times in which to eat. Um, but when we've stayed in hotels, when we played in either Europe or, or in pre-season, um, it's never been a, a problem with regards to me arranging food to be brought to my room for Sari and, 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 and it would it'd never be an issue with regards to the club on, on that front as well. Um, you know, I, I've got some unbelievable stories as well. I mean, even the players. So one, one story that always sticks out was we were playing against uh, Newcastle. So this is while I was at Spurs. <laughs> so we were playing against Newcastle in the League Cup and Wande Ramos was, was the manager. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, we, um, so he was giving a team talk and um, Iftar was literally five minutes uh, just before we were about to go out. So the manager's giving a team talk and there's a knock on the, the dressing room door and the security guy asks for Dr. Zaf. And so I get pointed and I'm in the corner just, you know, minding my own business, just listening to the manager. And the security guard walks across and there's this huge platter of food which is brought over which is brought over to me in the corner and i'm just looking and the manager's like just looking at me he goes are you sure you're okay and I, i've got no idea you know and, and it was actually one of the players jonathan woodgate who used to play for newcastle and he's playing at spurs now he knew i was fasting and without even me telling him or asking him alhamdulillah he'd, he'd sorted out uh, some food for me because he saw that i hadn't eaten the pre-match meal Amazing. and it's just little gestures like that which which were quite nice you know to see i remember at, at liverpool luis suarez would always come up to me at um when we when we're traveling away and stuff and he said look doc it's it sunset it's time for you to eat oh, just wow. in case <laughs> just in case i'd forgotten so when he was in ajax um so we, we'd talk about it because i think when he was in ajax he'd have and he was the captain of the team so he'd have muslim players at ajax so he knew you know a little bit about uh, ramzan and, and again it was nice because a lot of the other players would ask about it and what my 
reasons for for doing it were um and so i never had to hide the fact um and again i was i was very blessed all all the clubs that i worked at they were very accommodating uh with regards to me fasting and and it wasn't an issue because as i said most of the time i could get away for iftar and um even praying wasn't an issue because either i've got my own room my own office where i can pray or at liverpool we had a prayer room there because uh, we had Kolo Torre there and, and a few of the Muslim players and, and Brendan made sure that, you know, there was a prayer room that, that was uh, sorted out for the players as well. So uh, work-wise, it's, as I say, it, it just goes on Business as, usual. As, as normal. Did, um, did, did Luis Suarez ever offer you um, or, or Coutinho, you know, the, the flasks of tea that they used to carry around with them in pre-season and matches of that. What, what is that tea anyway? What is it? Is it the Marte. The Marte. It's, it's called Marte. I think M-A-T-E. So it, it's something the South Americans quite uh, liked a lot. It's, it, it is a type of tea um, and it's meant to contain some sort of stimulant like, uh, I suppose, like caffeine. So it's like a green tea. Um, but a lot of the South American boys used to have that all the time and and used to swear by it so <laughs> um as i said i i personally never tried it but uh having seen the way that suarez and and a few other boys plays that maybe i should have <laughs> no i agree um so obviously you you mentioned and alluded on how you're supporting players currently at crystal palace um what i wanted to kind of ask you was uh, what does support look like previously whether it's at Tottenham, Palace, Liverpool during the month of Ramadan for players who are Muslim from a medical perspective what were your kind of roles in in their um, kind of system of, of training or, or how they went about themselves did you have did you have an input on that? No so definitely um, so even at Palace and, and everyone knows that there's three players who are currently fasting uh, so Mamadou Sako Chaco Kiate and Jordan Ayu. Um, so I have a chat with them. And uh, so they've they've had their routine and, and they have that over a period of time. So the guys now have got a, uh, a conditioning program that they're meant to do every day. So what is likely to happen is that they'll probably do it uh, again. After Iftar, they may do some uh, strength work uh, in the morning or uh, just before Iftar but then they will do their CV work more than likely uh, in between Iftar and Sehri. Um, in terms of food-wise, again, we have a nutritionist and so they will be in contact and try and give them uh, some advice in terms of the right types of food to eat and when. And again, our sports scientist is in regular contact with them. And look, we know it's going to be, it probably is going to be a little bit more difficult for them. So at the moment, we're ramping up in terms of the work that they're doing, all the players. So a lot of them have got, have got running programs where they've got to find a pitch and they'll do uh, running on the pitch on a daily basis. And so we appreciate that. And, and they wear GPS monitors as well, so we know how much they've done. So we understand that may be a little bit more difficult for uh, the guys that are fasting. Um, but we try and help them, as I say, in, in whatever way we can and try and see if we can swap those CV exercises for, for something that, that can be done at home. What about like during iftar time? Is there, I don't know, I'm just trying to think like 
if I if from a grassroots perspective, if that time I'll take over food to friends, here's some food from my house. Next day they'll send over. Do the do the players and yourselves have you ever like kind of invited each other over for iftar or, or for Eid? Yeah, no, 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 sure, I have. Um, so when we're in pre-season, that much easier because we're all together, and so we've opened fast together. Um, so I think there's one time where we actually had uh, an evening game, and me, Kolo, and Osama, we opened our fast together, and then you know they went out and played. Um, uh, it's a bit more difficult with the uh, the lads from Palace just because of where they live and where I live. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live opposite ends of London, and it and it takes it can take a couple of hours to to get over. But I know last year certainly, um, like Bakri Sako, what the lads used to do is they they would invite each other over, so one player would cook and um, you know and have the food for iftar, and then everybody else would come over and. And some of the non-Muslim players would go over as well. So, nice. um, so you'd have Christian Benteke and Wilfred Zaha, Bakri Sako, uh, Kiate, uh, Mamadou, uh, Jordan Ayu. So they'd they'd all be together. Uh, I remember seeing some, they showed me some pictures and stuff. And so they they would go around and have iftar at at, at different uh, different players' houses. So certainly they they do that. Um, again, just that little bit of. Uh, you know, team bonding for for those guys as well. Um, Do they ever uh, get a telling off for, for for the food that they were cooking during iftar, or they're pretty professional and responsible what they were having? No, I, I think they, they have to be because at the end of the day, they get uh, they get checked on a regular basis in terms of their skin fold thickness, uh, skin folds on a regular basis, uh, and their weights get measured on a regular basis. So they know they have to they have to be extra careful with regards to all that. That's not to say that they don't eat. You know the odd uh, dessert or or or, or treat, uh, but by and large, in this day and age at Premier League level, uh, you know they, they get monitored on a regular basis, so they have to uh, uh, be very careful. Would you would you also say? Um, I know you alluded and mentioned in regards to how the clubs that you've been at have been really accommodating towards uh, players and staff around Ramadan and fans as well. Um, would you say that the awareness has grown and increased around clubs identifying and being proactive around understanding that uh, what Ramadan is and how they may need to adjust if there needs to be an adjustment even? Um, I think what it probably is is that there's an understanding. So uh, the FA, the PFA, they will send out information. But listen, you know, managers... Uh, good managers they will know what their workforce is about and so um, they will try and accommodate as much as possible they'll want to try and you know keep them on side I remember having this conversation with the guys of Sam Allardyce uh, a few years back you know and so and, and even Alan Pardew and they, and they took it upon themselves to actually learn a little bit more because it's in their best interest because if they find out more about what makes a player what you know the, the makeup of a player and of course their faith plays an important part in that then um, by being able to understand that and accommodating them means that player is more likely to perform for them as well so you know i think it's just good management uh as i said we've i've had conversations with all, all the managers i've probably worked with um 
at some point or another, either about fasting or about uh, Islam. Mm. Uh, but I think that because almost every Premier League team has got a Muslim player in that team. And I think for them, it, it, it just makes perfect sense. If you want the best out of your team, you need to understand your players and um, you've got to try and accommodate where you can. So, for example, most, most uh, clubs will have halal options there um, and, and try and accommodate the player. As I say, it, it, for me, it's a no-brainer because if, if I'm a Muslim player and there's halal food there and there's a prayer room there, I'd, I'd like to think that that's going to make you even want to fight even more because they think, look, yeah. look how much this person has gone out for me. Similarly, with regards to, you know, those little things which don't cost money. You know, when, when, when Jonathan Woodgate organised for that food to be brought, um, you know, into the dressing room, he didn't have to do that. And it wasn't any cost on his part, but it's a thought. And, and, and equally for me then, I was like, do you know what? Not that I don't work hard anyway. It just made me think, actually, I, I'm going to make sure that I repay that faith and work even harder. I mean, 100% echo and agree with what you're saying. And, and, and I think I think the importance now is that awareness and education to filter down to non-league football and grassroots football as well. Uh, I, was, I was lucky and privileged to be in a position last year uh, to be involved with two non-league clubs. Alhamdulillah, just based around conversations, they opened up um, um, provisions for some of the Muslim players who, who made the transition into, into non-league football for, for them to access uh, prayer facilities uh, when they were, there was mandatory rules, club rules where you had to sit behind after a game to have a meal, halal food was put on for them as well. Um, but I think that's come from uh, the fact that the players requested it and the club were quite forward-thinking and understanding and had a bit of education. I just hope and pray like, that the, the you know that the messaging that is you know the Premier League clubs and the professional clubs are taking that filters down to grassroots as well because I think I think and I don't know if you would agree or not that does hinder uh, some of the the Muslim players making the transition into into um, non-league and then professional football um, and again one of the reasons why I you know was involved in setting up the Midnight Ramadan League is when I was younger I wanted to play semi-professionally football um, but I couldn't well I could have. But when it came to Ramadan and it was pre-season that year, I remember, I, I was just way behind everyone else and, and I lost my place in the team. Sure. I, I, listen, I, it, it's a very difficult. I mean, I, I've, I've worked at lower league levels as well. At, 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 I worked at Leighton Orient. Ultimately, I don't know a manager that I've come across, even at the lower levels. For me, if a player is good enough and is able to contribute to the team in a positive way, then why wouldn't they accommodate? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've had conversation with managers who, who've turned around to me and said, oh, you know, why, why aren't there enough? And it's a million dollar question. Why aren't there enough Asians uh, in the Premier League? Okay. Can, because, I, can I just, just go one second come in? Because we've had this discussion on a number of occasions. Mm. And honestly, Ramadan, I can, I can hand on heart say, the answer that we've, the, the discussion that we've had has mm. been the most balanced and sensible mm. answer I've, I've heard. So, but please continue. I just want yeah. to get that in there. No, no, sure. So my, my, my thing is, I look, I'm not under any illusion. I'm, I'm Muslim. I'm working in the Premier League and I've worked at three separate Premier League clubs. Again, I know that the reason that someone like Jonathan Woodgate 
you know, arranged with regards to that food is, it's not just because of the fact that I'm Muslim, I like to think is because I've given something back, I've done something right. Yeah. Equally, why is uh, the football managers, the Premier League accommodating other Muslim players? Because, you know, players like the top players like Sadio Mane, um, uh, Mohamed Salah, you know, they have got something in return to offer. Okay. So it may not be the faith that they're offering, but from a football level, they have got something to offer. These guys are elite footballers. They, they're an unbelievable skill level. So one of the problems that, that I often find is that um, certainly at the, at the lower levels is that there are not enough who are willing to put in the same sacrifices as other people. And mm. so, so what I mean by that is, I don't think it's good enough just to say, I think I could be just as good as them, but I've never been given the opportunity. Yeah. You've got to go far beyond what the other person is doing. And as I say, you don't know what their battle is. Yeah, You've got to show and you've got to be professional in every single aspect. So, so for example, turning up on time, making sure that you're doing every training session, making sure that you're doing everything right in terms of your food, making sure now in terms of with the guys why there's not enough asians at the top level well there's not enough asians playing at the lower level so unless there's loads and loads of asians south asians playing at the lower levels there's not going to be enough to be able to filter up now i get there are going to be prejudices out there okay that oh you know uh so and so isn't going to be able to make it as a footballer because of either their build or you know, they're not cut out to be that. But in this country, I honestly do believe that you do have the opportunity if you're good enough, if you're willing to work hard enough. And there have been examples, few examples, but there have been examples. You know, the one that I can quote is Zesh Rahman. You know, Alhamdulillah, he was very lucky. His parents were very, very supportive. He would go training, you know, five, six times a week. His, his, his parents would take him to every single game. Not everybody's parent can do that, mm. but that is the type of commitment that is required. You know, it, it's very, very, very hard to actually make it to the top level. You know, very, very small percentage actually make it, uh, make a career out of football. So it's a very, very hard industry to try and break into. Um, but it is possible, but you need lots and lots of people who are committed, who are doing all the right things. And inshallah, as I say, slowly, slowly, we may see people filtering through and, uh, and you know, uh, and, and getting through in, into the Premier League. Or, but as I say, shouldn't it just be talking about the Premier League? We, yeah. we should have lots of people at League Two, yeah. League One. You look, you, look at, you look at Harry Kane. He went out on loan, I think, seven different clubs, you know, from Millwall to Leighton Orient. He just wanted to play football. David Beckham went to Preston to play. <laughs> I hear too many times where people are saying, "Oh, why there's not enough Asians in in Premier League?" But that's not. It should not. It shouldn't be just about mm. the Premier League. Yeah, it should be any level. Yeah. And if you really are interested in the sport, then you should be. So, Alhamdulillah. Look at look at Adil Nabi, who uh, I'm sure you know. Yeah. Yeah. He was at West Brom. Uh, for one reason or another, didn't quite work out for him. But it didn't matter. He still wanted to play football, and you know, he, alhamdulillah, fair play to him. He went away and it doesn't matter where he went to, he, he's made a good go of it. And now he's still playing. He's, still, he's playing at a decent level. You know, he's out, I think he's in the Greek league now. Yeah. And um, 
so he is playing but you need lots more people like that uh, who are committed enough and it's a pyramid effect unless you've got a lot more at the lower levels only then will it filter through uh, and and you know the best players those with the natural talent as well so you need a little bit of luck as well will then maybe uh, make it through to the uh, uh, to the top in, in, into the Premier League I, I personally think that you know in this country there are opportunities uh, but you know as I said, a lot, a lot of hard graft and, and, and work is required for that. I've seen it, as I said, when I see people in the academy and I see how many people don't make it of all races. Um, if my son could play football, is my own, and it's probably not the right thing to say, but I, I wouldn't want him to go down the football route and put all his eggs in one basket and say football is, is, is the one thing that, that he can do. If he really wanted to do it, I'd try and support him, but... In my heart of hearts, I know how difficult it is to try and make it to the top. It is ridiculously difficult. I'd love to have been a footballer. Don't get me wrong. You know, the lifestyle is amazing. You know, the, not just the money they earn, but, you know, the, the opportunity to be a role model. The rewards are unreal if you make it. But what people forget is how hard it is to make it to that level. And you're only one bad tackle, one bad injury from it all falling to pieces. And then what? And I've, as I say, I've seen so many people who haven't been able to make it. it it's, a, it's a very, very tough industry to crack. And unfortunately, lots of people say, oh, you know, it's, it's because of this or it's because of that reason. But actually, they may not, may not have put the commitment in or they may simply may not have been good enough uh, to have made it in the first place. Sorry, we've got sidetracked there. No, no, no problem at all. You, you mentioned Adil Nabi. Yeah. He's probably tuning in. He's he's actually on tomorrow night, inshallah, on the show. All right, okay. It's gonna he's he's two hours ahead. He's in Greece, so it's gonna be about two a.m. when he joins. But he has he has a he's a lovely guy. He's agreed, he's agreed, and you're spot on with that. But one thing I just really briefly want to touch on when you mentioned uh, the lifestyle and the money and the role models, and I, I get it, I get it. The players are role models, but one thing that I've learned from from meeting you and speaking to yourself, um, you don't have to be a player. To be a role model you can be within the industry of football and be like i said to you i've said to you many times alhamdulillah you, i see you as a, a really important role model um for the, for the asian community in the sense that you know you've got a medical degree you're, you're a doctor and, and you're working in the professional industry so you don't in my opinion you don't have to always you know just because you can't make it as a footballer you can still work in football oh no no i i agree totally uh there's lots of opportunities in in football and i'm not going to kid myself that Yes, there's been a lot of work, hard work that has gone in and lots of sacrifices by my wife as well for me to have got, you know, this opportunity uh, and my parents to have got this opportunity to where I have. And I, I wouldn't want to change it for the world, but uh, it, it is a lot of hard work. But as you said, there are, um, you know, other um, areas within football that you can work in. So whether it be a doctor, physio, sports scientist, um, you know coaching so there are there are plenty of opportunities but it is a hard hard slog there's no two ways about it so there isn't an easy route um, and that's why as i say I, you know i admire adil a lot because you know he knew what he wanted to do same with zesh rahman you know he's still playing now he's playing out in the far east uh, and fair play again to him you know he's he he played football here in in, in the premier league and then uh, he went down a few leagues and stuff, but he still wanted to continue playing football and it didn't matter where it was. 
that was his passion, that was his love, that was his drive. And so, you know, for him, it wasn't about the money. It was just about playing football. And uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter what field that you want to go into. I think that's what's going to come for first. So for me, going into medicine, I, I just wanted to be a doctor no matter what. And then uh, when I got into sports medicine and, and decided that was a career for me, I didn't actually think, right, okay, I'm going to be working in the Premier League. I was happy when I was working late in Orient. I was happy when I was working with the FA England youth teams. My main aim was just to try and work and, and be the best I could. Um, and wherever that took me, fine. And alhamdulillah, as I say, it's, it's taken me on, you know, on, on quite a journey. Um, and inshallah, who knows, who knows what else is, is to come. But, you know, I've, I've had a good ride so far. I hear Liverpool after a club doctor. I'm just joking. You don't have to even comment on that. Um, I'm conscious of time. Um, uh, and I know this, the, the inbox, the chat inbox is just filling up uh, with loads of questions. And, and I just wanted to make one final point. Obviously, the, 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 the whole idea of this programme that we're running is called the Midnight Ramadan Show, where we interview uh, people within the industry of football and then also provide an, uh, an hour uh, or 45 minutes a workout from a PT. Um, how important do you think it is for them to, to t continue to stay on beyond this conversation and, and be a part of the workout as well? No, no, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm going straight downstairs. So I, I'm lucky I've got a bike downstairs and, and I know I've got to uh, because at the end of the day, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's really important. Uh, staying physically active helps with your immune system. And I've got to stay in shape because when I do return back to the training ground, trust me, if I've gained weight, <laughs> uh, the players won't uh, won't let me forget it. So uh, I've I've got to uh, equally got to make sure I'm not giving them an opportunity. I think that's the probably thing that, that's driving me most is I don't want them taking the Mickey out of me uh, when I get back. I'll, I'll, thank you. Um, are we okay for for ten minutes if we can allow Saeed to pick out some questions from? From some of the audience and we'll unmute their mic so they can physically ask the questions themselves to you no problem thank you great thanks guys um i think we've got harun here uh harun i'm just gonna unmute unmute yourself so you can fire away Um, Doc. Thanks for taking the time to uh, speak to us. So I've got a, a, a medical question. Um, so uh, just a bit selfish. I've been out injured for two years, as everyone keeps reminding me. Uh, I just want to ask, what's the most um, categoric method of diagnosing whether an athlete has um, sciatica or gluteal tendinopathy? Gosh, okay. Um, just... Uh, <laughs> The difficulty here, you said we've only got 10 minutes and that's for all the questions. <laughs> so I, I think the first thing is that you need to make sure that the person who's examining you has got, uh, is able to do that. So uh, I'd find yourself a good sports doctor. That's, that's in the first instance, or a good physiotherapist who is used to working with backs and, and is able to differentiate between the two. Um, I'm sure you've had scans and, one thing that we we often say in, in sports medicine is that you treat the you treat the person not the scan because if you did a scan in all footballers you'd find all sorts of abnormalities on there so it really comes down to the clinical examination um, so trying to differentiate between the two which can be tricky because of the fact that uh, 
where the nerve passes down through the uh, uh, gluteal region and quite close by the uh, hamstring tendon uh, it can be difficult to differentiate but there are a few tests but you really need to have a good sports doctor um, or a physio and I think uh, whereabouts are you based are you based in the Midlands are you I am yeah Birmingham okay so if you give your uh, details to brother Abay, and then what I can do is maybe I can recommend to him in terms of uh, people around the Midlands who uh, maybe you should go and see. Okay, thank you, Doc. No worries. Over to you, Saeed. Excellent. Um, we've got Smiler Campbell next. Smile, I'm just going to mute yourself now. How are you doing, guys, man? You all right? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Zafar, I'm all right, thanks, man. Obi, you all right, yeah? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, uh, basically, it wasn't a question that I had. I was just going to add to the point that you were talking about uh, Muslims in football, in professional football. And I was going to say I agree with what you're saying. It's more about the uh, whole package, in a sense. It's not just like you don't just come if you're just good enough. It's down to, like, your parents. Uh, and I believe within the next, like, uh, 20 years, we will see more because, and I'll tell you why, what my theory is, basically... Uh, say like my parents when they came to England, like my daddy's from Jamaica. Uh, he was, he like passed away when he was 90. So he was like, he had me when he was 60. So the older your parents are, I believe less likely they're going to take you to football every week. Like the younger your parents are, they see the dream of like being a footballer as like a more westernized. They see it as like a dream of like being a footballer. So like the younger the parents are now, in like the Muslim community, they're going to be seeing all this stuff on the TV, like I'll be a footballer. They're more inclined to do what like, uh, say like the more English kind of ways, let's take our son football, let's take him football. We want him to be a footballer. So I believe that's going to have a big impact on it. So you're going to see more of a, uh, more of a influx then, I believe. That's what I believe. That's one of my points, I believe. No, that is, uh, I, I, I can't disagree with that. I remember, again, another conversation I had with Jermaine Genus, and he would often tell me, we'd, we'd have this conversation, he would say that uh, um, there were lads in his school who were technically better than him. So he had Asian friends, Muslim friends, and he would say that they were technically better than him. But uh, what he had was his mom's support. His mom would take him to every training session, would take yeah. him to... Uh, you know every game and I've got I've got my friends now who are taking their kids and, and they are struggling because as long as as well as their day job they've then got to take their kid five times in the evening to a training session then they've got the game and you can't you can't expect to be treated the same if you're only attending half the training sessions yeah you've got to do exactly the same you've got to be attending every single training session and as I say, it is very, very hard work. The number that I see, you know, uh, less than one, uh, less easily less than 1% of all those uh, that are going through uh, yeah. in terms of academies actually go on and, and make it in any level in, uh, as yeah. a footballer. So it is very, very hard work. And so, you know, you need lots and lots of parents who are supportive uh, for that one or two uh kids to be making it at, at the uh, the highest level social aspect as well of like afterwards like after games etc what uh parents are doing etc if they're going maybe to the pub it, 
whatnot, that's going to play. I've seen it like with my own eyes play a part in whether players are going to make it or not, or be taken into certain teams, even uh, grassroots football. Sure. As I said, I've, I've not seen that personally myself, so it's very difficult to comment. But then equally, as I say, um, you know, there are Muslim players that are in the Premier League at this moment in time, and you could argue they've come from other countries. Um, but um, what is first and foremost, you, you've got to be good enough, you know, and you've got to be seen that actually this person is good enough. Uh, I think where the difficulty becomes is are, are those people that may have the talent and then some people say, well, they haven't been developed and they haven't been given the opportunity. And that, I suppose, is a difficulty because have they not been given the opportunity because they've not been exposed enough in terms of, you know, the parents have been, haven't been taking them to enough of the training sessions? Or is it because of the fact that the person who is training them doesn't want to give them an opportunity? It's a, it's a, it's a very difficult one. I, 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 as I say, it, we, we could be here all night you know, arguing uh, <laughs> for various reasons. All right, Thank man. You. Take it easy, guys, man. Thank you, too. Thanks, Smiler. Um, we've got Hamza next. Hamza, I'm just going to mute you and you can fire away. Hello there, Doctor. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm doing good. Yourself? Good, good. Uh, I've, just, uh, I've heard a lot about you to my brother, Obayed, and... Uh, I really think you've got an interesting job. Do you find your job stressful like working with footballers? I, <laughs> you'd think so. So I get a lot of people who ask me that and say, well, I'm going to say you're working with, you know, Alhamdulillah, I've been very fortunate to work with some of the, I mean, if, if, if I was to name a five-a-side team, I'd have a ridiculous five-a-side team, I'm telling <laughs> you. You know, so, you know, as I said, Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, Coutinho, Suarez, Gerrard. I wouldn't even have a keeper. That's my five right there. So, you know, but um, this is going to sound cliched, but it just becomes like a normal job. Uh, I'd even put in Zaha in there. He'd be in there as well. He'd be a nice one to bring off the bench. But, um, you know, I just see it as a normal job. I mean, what is stressful? Um I suppose I, I enjoy the buzz of making the decisions and, and when they pay off, you know. The, the hardest bit actually is, is the games because nothing can prepare you for 90 minutes where your emotions can go up and down within seconds. And I've had some absolutely horrendous moments, you know, really sickening moments where you think you've lost this game and, and so much riding on it. And then literally it turns in a minute. Um, and then but what, what is really rewarding when, you know, you've worked hard in a play and you've got them right for a game and it come through and they score a goal and stuff. And, and that, yeah. that is rewarding. But again, I'm, I've got one of the best jobs in the world. I'm, I'm getting paid. Imagine, I can imagine. Football, yeah. you know? So, yes, it can be stressful. But, you know, my dad, my dad was a bus driver. Now, okay. that was stressful. You know, <laughs> that, that's what you call hard work. So anything compared with what my dad and my mum had to go through, it's for me it's a walk in the park so i don't see it stressful to be honest who do you actually support in football if you don't mind hamza hamza if, if i may sorry doc uh, we, we've got like loads of people asking questions can we just uh, have said can we just take two more really brief questions because obviously I, i'm conscious right, of, no that has to uh, but i'm sure inshallah if this runs well 
Doc uh, will come back on the show at some point during Ramadan if it's possible. No worries. Thank you, Doctor. See you later. No worries. Take care. Thanks, Hamza. Um, I think we've got Musa Jawara next. Just going to unmute you, Musa, and you can fire away. Go ahead, Musa. Uh, can you all hear me? Yes. Yes, yes, yes Obi. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome, How's it going? You good? Yeah, I'm good. Mubarak to all of you, man. Well, uh, I was listening to your interview with Obi, and then he mentioned uh, uh, about West Brom, the West Brom final. Yeah. Well, I was yeah, I was one of those players who actually participated in those finals and played uh, 90 minutes in those finals. So, well, I'll say like it was quite tough, especially once we finished the first half. So when we, when we went back to the pitch for the second half, after the 10 minutes, I was completely gone. So I just wanted to ask the question, how, how will that impact or how does that affect your health when it comes to that dehydration? level and then yeah, that sense of tiredness then for about 90 minutes without drinking any water or yeah so as you can imagine when when we're fasting anyway uh when we're dehydrated it makes you feel yeah. more tired um uh, mm-hmm. it, it it can affect your concentration it can affect yeah. your mood um mm-hmm. and so it is going to be hard now in terms of performance as we already said it can make it yeah. more difficult now mm-hmm. If you're not able to move as quick, if you're not able to run as fast, that yeah. may not only affect your performance, but may put you at more risk of an injury just because okay. of the fact that you may not be able to reach a certain position as quickly as you normally would do. So, for example, if somebody's yeah. coming in to tackle you, you may not mm-hmm. be able to move as quick. But yeah. um, again, as I say, it's it's I have known of players who have fasted uh, and played at the top level. And they've okay. felt that it's not really affected their performance, and I, I've got to take their word for it. You know, at the end of the day, they're the ones that are uh, are, are out there, uh, whereas other players have said that it, if they try and play a game, it does affect them, and so they try and 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 make up the fast on another day. Okay, so in that case, what kind of food do you recommend for suhoor? Like, if you're about, to, if you think like you've got a game coming up. So the best thing for that is, yeah. is making sure that you're well hydrated. So plenty of fluid with electrolytes so that the fluid stays in the body for longer. Uh, but the other thing is to have what we call slow release yeah. carbs. So the kind of foods are things like um, sweet potato, oats, lentils. Yeah. Um, and what those kind of foods do is that they release uh, energy slowly throughout the day as opposed to having quick release carbs such as white bread, white rice, uh, sugary foods, because those, uh, uh, they will give you a release of energy, but it'll be very, very quick. So what will happen is that you'll feel good for a short period of time, but then you'll get a crashing effect and that energy gets used up very, very quickly. So more of the slow release carbs. So if you look that up, slow release carbs. Doc, I've picked out the, the, the last question because it's uh, it should be quite simple. And uh, apologies to all of the guys that I've asked. It's just obviously, it, blame it on me because I just went on and on. A final question is uh, from uh, someone named Akbar who has asked, um, uh, oh, actually, um, Saeed, if you want to unmute Akbar, you can ask the question, sorry.
Assalamu alaikum, Doc. Assalamu alaikum, Doc. Um, this is just a quick question. Um, I was just wondering, can have can having illnesses like asthma stop players stop players from becoming pro? Um, no, is is the quick answer to that because there are players who have got asthma, um, and so that they do have their inhalers. Um, there are certain types of inhalers where you need special certification, um, but you have tests for asthma. And if it's confirmed that um, you do indeed have asthma and need those medications, so you're allowed to have them. So there's certain types of steroid inhalers. Um, um, but there are there are uh, a couple of footballers that I've worked with that I've had asthma, and you know they're they're playing at uh, in the Premier League. So that in itself isn't a barrier to you uh, reaching uh, and, and becoming a footballer. Thank you. Thank you very much, Doc. Um, Jazakallah, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I am pretty sure um, that everyone here has benefited from it, inshallah. If you are available during the course of the month and we can bring you on again, that would be amazing. If not, totally understandable. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, we have... Uh, do you have any final remarks before you, 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 you shoot off or anything? No, no, no. Jazakallah, as I say again, for inviting me. Um, and as I say, it's really important for, for everyone. Uh, those that are playing sports, um, you know, don't just keep thinking about playing in the Premier League, but just set your own standards. Uh, you know, we had this conversation before, so the kind of things that uh, Brother Abed organises in terms of the five-a-side and stuff like that, make sure you turn up on time, be respectful to each other, you know, and that, that really is important. And, and that, you know, that sort of message goes in, in any uh, uh any of your opportunities in terms of life, you know, is really important in this country. We're very fortunate. Make the most of them, but be professional and, and, and set a good example. Turn up on time. That's the first thing. Turn up on time. Wow. Wow. What an insight. Not only from a, a footballing perspective, but from a medical perspective as well. Um, all is an honor speaking to Dr. Zaf amazing really amazing uh, information there thank you for everyone tuning in um see you on the next one <laughs>